The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. What a joy on this beautiful Columbus Day weekend to welcome you here to the Nave of Marsh Chapel, whether you are here present with us or listening live over the radio at WBUR 90.9 FM or listening over internet signals at WBUR.org. Welcome. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel. I bear greetings on behalf of our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away this week. He will be back with us next Sunday. We welcome to the pulpit this morning the Reverend Soren Hessler, Chapel Associate for Leadership Development here at Marsh Chapel. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. Lord, we pray that your grace may always precede and follow us, that we may continually be given to good works. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Seek the Lord and live, for God knows how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. As the choir sings the traditional Kyrie, we invite you to, in silent meditation, seek good and not evil, that you may live. Amen. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. Having confessed our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of the prophet Amos, chapter 5, verses 5 through 6 and 10 through 15. Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire, and it will devour Bethel with no one to quench it. Ah, you that turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. They hate the one who reproves in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, and, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, the prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil 
that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsibly verses from Psalm 90. Teach us to count our days, that we may gain a wise heart. Return, O Lord, have compassion on your service. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. 
Let your work be manifest to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and then prosper for us the work of our hands. We will prosper the work of our hands. for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of our gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Glory to you, O Lord. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions 
and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Good morning. It is always good to be in this space, and I'm especially grateful to Bob Hill for the opportunity to stand in the pulpit today. This fall, as Jen and I continue work on our dissertations, we enter our seventh year here on the staff at Marsh Chapel. In these years, Marsh has been our spiritual home, and the Sunday morning liturgy has been the service grounding the rhythm of our weekly lives. In October of last year, I accepted a position as the administrator for the Center for Interreligious and Communal Leadership Education, CIRCLE, the interreligious initiative of Hebrew College and Andover Newton Theological School, which brings together rabbinical students and seminarians along with Muslim community leaders to cultivate authentic relationships across lines of difference and to live into caring for the world together. At its core, CIRCLE facilitates real relationships across religious and theological divides and seeks to transform religious education and religious leadership in the 21st century through this mutual encounter. The basis of the work is both eloquently simple and extraordinarily bold. Take students from two neighboring educational institutions, create intentional opportunities for those students to interact, learn, and explore together throughout their studies, and ultimately change the culture of both institutions and perhaps the trajectory of graduate theological education itself. My work at Marsh Chapel had already helped me encounter the power in working across intra-religious difference. The Christian staff here over the last several years has included folks from a more than a dozen Christian denominations and communities. And in that time, I've grown to be a better United Methodist because I've learned about personal piety from Roman Catholic colleagues, the depth and importance of liturgy from my Anglican and Episcopalian friends, and the importance of speaking truth to power from a Southern Baptist minister-to-be. In 2013, the World Council of Churches General Assembly invited young people from around the globe to gather to think about what formation in religious leadership can and should look like in the 21st century. As we learn the stories of one another, an Arab man living in war-torn Gaza, a Korean woman seeking a voice and place in South Korea, a Kenyan woman struggling to find the means to feed the orphan children of her neighborhood, we learned how religious leadership in the new millennium must move beyond cultivating community within one's own tradition to loving and working across lines of religious difference for the sake of the world's least and lost, poor and marginalized. Our gospel passage today contains one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. As a university chapel community, largely well-educated, attached to a premier research university, and benefiting from its education and social location, we ought rightly to wrestle with the consequences of these words of Jesus recounted in the Markan text today. As a recent homeowner, I ponder that verse regularly, and I should. However, its full exegesis on a Sunday morning waits for another day. My interest this morning is in Mark 10, 29 to 30. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. 
we hear in this passage that following Jesus is still hard, and that in following Jesus, we give up and lose things along the way, sometimes even family. But the good news of this text is that in following Jesus, we find new family. While the church understands itself to be a family, and in baptism, we are reminded that we are incorporated into a Christian family that transcends space and time, the new family we find in following the will of God through Jesus is not limited to the followers of Jesus. For God, all things are possible. When we do the work of God, as we seek to love God and neighbor, we encounter new brothers and sisters, mothers and children who are on that same journey of doing the work of God. In following Jesus, our new family may come to include those whom we would least expect. As a United Methodist, experience plays an essential role in interpreting and navigating Scripture. Were it not for my work at Circle and the relationships forged there, I would have trouble knowing or sharing the good news I now hear in Mark 3, 32 to 35. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and your sisters are asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And again, in today's text, Mark 10, 29 through 30, we are reminded that through following Jesus, we find family not just in the future eschatological promise of resurrection, not just within the four walls of the chapel nave, but in whoever does the will of God. I want to share a story I was introduced to by my colleague, Rabbi Orr Rose, just a few days after I started my job at Circle. He and Celine Ibrahim, two of Circle's co-directors, were presenting on a panel about multi-faith college chaplaincy at Memorial Church in Harvard Yard as part of the annual meeting of the Association for College and University Religious Affairs. Or related a reflection of Rabbi Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi, better known as Reb Zalman, about his time at Boston University here. And I immediately knew I had a lot to learn about being a good and trustworthy Christian from this rabbi. I relate these words from Reb Zalman's 2012 memoir, My Life in Jewish Renewal. In the spring of 1955, I was finally ready to embark on educational training to become a B'nai B'rith Hillel rabbi. Ever since Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach and I visited Boston University in our first campus outreach for Chabad in the late 40s, I had yearned to work in this capacity. It seemed to offer its staff wonderful, creative Jewish opportunities in an intellectual milieu. From Hillel's national headquarters in Washington, D.C., I learned that my rabbinic ordination plus a master's degree would be my entry ticket to a campus position. So I enrolled at Boston University's pastoral counseling program. Its starting date lay a few months ahead in September, but I needed to complete several preparatory psychology courses during the summer. If all went well, I might eventually be able to earn my doctorate. That was my dream. Boston University had an excellent academic reputation, but it certainly wasn't nearby. It was two hours each way from my home in New Bedford. Leaving the first day at 5 a.m., I arrived with enough time to daven morning prayers as I had planned. But where? At that hour, everything on the Charles River campus was closed, except Marsh Chapel at 735 Commonwealth Avenue. I went inside expectantly, but the ornate main chapel featured wooden... statues of Jesus and the four evangelists, I didn't feel comfortable even thinking about davening there. So I headed downstairs to the smaller chapel. A cross was prominently displayed above the pulpit, again, not the place for me. 
Walking over to a small side room, the Daniel Marsh memorabilia room, I put on my tallet and teflon, and facing east toward Jerusalem, I recited morning prayers, and then I took my breakfast. Right after, at 8 a.m., I went to the first of my classes and drove back in the afternoon to New Bedford to teach Hebrew school. I repeated this routine for several days, when one morning a middle-aged black man peeked inside the downstairs room where I was davening. Is there a reason why you don't pray in the chapel? I mumbled something about the symbols to my surprise. The man warmly replied, When you come back tomorrow, see if you don't feel more comfortable, and smiled enigmatically. The next day, I entered Marsh Chapel and was quite curious about what I would find. In the downstairs chapel, a large white candle was burning, and the Bible on the lectern was open to Psalm 139, verse 7, which says, Whither shall I flee from thy presence? The large cross was no longer where it was the day before, but rested on its side against a wall. Feeling very grateful to the janitor, I did my davening right there. And when I finished, I replaced the cross in its regular position and turned the Bible to Psalm 100, the Thanksgiving psalm. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And so the downstairs chapel became my prayer place from that morning onward. Soon it was time for me to plan my spring course schedule. A catalog course titled Spiritual Disciplines and Resources caught my eye. Ever since my teenage years in Antwerp, I had been fascinated by the subject of inner growth and studied it avidly with my Hasidic mentors in Brooklyn. However, this time the instructor would be no Hasidic rabbi, but Minister Howard Thurman, Dean of Marsh Chapel. Although the topic certainly intrigued me, the catalog indicated that the course would involve labs, experimental class activities, Deep down in my guts, I felt anxious about entrusting my soul to a Christian, knowing that all they want to do is convert Jews. Was he open enough to allow me to learn spiritual disciplines and resources to make me a better Jew? As a pulpit rabbi for several years, I had learned enough to know that such methods require ample trust to be effective, and to do that, I wanted to make sure that Minister Thurman was trustworthy. That is, he wouldn't try to convert me to Christianity. At the time, his name meant nothing to me, though he was already famous as a leading theologian and descendant of southern slaves. After making an appointment through Dean Thurman's secretary, I appeared at his office and knocked on the door. To my amazement, Minister Thurman was none other than the kindly black man who I had misperceived as the building's janitor. Talking over coffee with the dean, I explained that I really wanted to take his course— and learn from his experiential methods. But I also confess that I'm not sure my anchor chains are long enough to relinquish self-control and allow him, a non-Jew, to guide me spiritually. With a pensive expression, he put down his coffee mug. His graceful hands went back and forth as though mirroring my dilemma. Finally, Howard Thurman looked right at me and said, Don't you trust Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit? To hear a non-Jew speak these Hebrew words so eloquently shattered my composure. As though yanked on an invisible chain, I immediately stood up, hurried out of the dean's office without offering even a word of thanks or goodbye. It was a profound challenge. Am I a Jew because God wants me to be a Jew? Or am I a Jew without reference to God? I agonized over my decision for three weeks and committing myself to be led by God, I registered for Dean Thurman's course. Spiritual disciplines and resources was a tremendous learning experience for me. 
Under Howard Thurman's able tutelage, we experimented with a variety of spiritual techniques, including guided meditation. One memorable exercise, our class was instructed to translate an experience of one sense into another. For example, we would read a biblical psalm several times and then listen to a beautiful meditative Bach composition in order to hear the psalm's meaning in the sounds of music. In this way, we refined our senses and became better able to experience the divine around us. Beginning the first lab with the reading of Psalm 139, we reflected on it to Bach's melody, when afterward Thurman played a recording of Max Bruch's orchestral composition of the ancient Kol Nidre prayer sung on Yom Kippur, I allowed myself to relax. During the course, I visited Thurman frequently during office hours to discuss my practice. Several years passed, and when one of my sons was close to bar mitzvah, I introduced him to Dean Thurman and asked the minister to bless us both. For an instant, he seemed surprised, then wordlessly prayed while placing a hand on our shoulders. This profound experience has stayed with me intensely for over 50 years. Decades later, I was moved to learn that Thurman long remembered this soulful encounter between us in an unpublished part of his autobiography titled With Head and Heart. He wrote, I'd never been in a position like that before where the fact of being the instrumentality of a blessing was so personal and intimate and exclusive. It was not like saying a blessing with a group at a moment of some sort of celebration, but here was the celebration of a common religious experience and a friendship and an affection that existed between two men, each of whom came from a radically different tradition but had met in that zone where there is no name or label. And there I bowed and I prayed. I do not recall any words that were said, but what I do recall is the intensity of the religious experience in that moment and the transcendent and yet penetrating look on his face when I opened my eyes and found that he, from his kneeling position, was looking up in my face. Now, Thurman's writings have been a vital part of my own seminary experience. He was even required reading in preparation for my own ordination this past summer. But I didn't realize or really understand or know Thurman or appreciate what his legacy meant for me or Marsh Chapel until I encountered a rabbi who loved Thurman. So about a month ago, Bob Hill and I were sitting on a park bench behind the College of Arts and Sciences building chatting about the consequences of taking seriously three significant creeds spoken at the chapel regularly. One, we believe the Sunday morning liturgy is the heart and heartbeat of a Christian religious community. Two, we believe that we communicate the core values of our faith through liturgy. And three, we believe that we are called by the gospel to be an authentic community with the religious other. That conversation became the genesis of this morning's liturgy. Two years ago, Marsh Chapel took the bold move of hiring the first full-time university chaplain for international students in the country. Through that position, my friend, the Reverend Brittany Longsdorf, became the university's de facto multi-faith chaplain, at least for the international student community. Her hire was one way of living into the chapel's commitment to be on a journey with students no matter where they come from or where they are going. Brittany reacquainted the chapel community with practices of hospitality as we extended a warm hand of welcome to students from a variety of religious traditions at various activities through each week of the academic year. 
Brittany cultivated communities of intentional interaction across cultural and religious difference, and that work continues. Celine Ibrahim, one of Circle's co-directors and the Muslim chaplain at Tufts University, noted this week with enthusiasm that her job is to get people of different faiths to, quote, bump into each other. We cannot find new sisters and brothers, parents and children, if we don't really, truly engage them. How do we then bump into the religious other on a Sunday morning? At Marsh Chapel, our theme for the year is prayer. You'll notice that the title of the sermon today references the theme, How Are We to Pray For or With the Religious Other? Experience and Thurman both tell me that we cannot pray for, and we especially cannot pray with, the other if we don't know the other. And in coming to know the other, we might find that they are really not the other at all. They are, in fact, our sister or our brother or a mother or a daughter on the journey of faith. Bob Hill is fond of reminding us that Thurman was 100 years ahead of his time 50 years ago. Thurman didn't use words to pray with his Jewish brothers, and I'm not here to suggest a way to find those words today. But I do want to invite you to meaningfully bump into a new brother or sister in your life this week and learn something new. Over the course of our many months working together, I've bumped into Celine a lot. We share office space at both Andover Newton and at Hebrew College, and I've learned that she prays a lot. In fact, she probably prays more each day than I do in a week. I didn't really know about personal piety until I got to know a Muslim who took her faith seriously. So as a way to begin this process of bumping into new brothers and sisters on the journey, I've invited two colleagues to share wisdom from their traditions in the language of their traditions as we close today. My colleague, Benjamin Baer, the editorial director of State of Formation, Circle's online platform for connecting emerging religious and ethical leaders and a rabbinical student at Hebrew College, reminds us of the wisdom in Psalm 90 today. And Shayla Zakula, the coordinator of the Circle Residential Community and an alumna of Boston University, offers a reading from the Quran. When we hear a sister share from the Quran's teaching on family, how do we hear the gospel lesson from Mark differently? When we hear a Jewish brother meditate on the words of the psalm in light of the pain and suffering of a faith community over hundreds and thousands of years, how do we hear the words from Mark differently? Zeramtem Shena Yu, Baboker Kachatsir Yachalof, Baboker Yatsitz Vechalaf, La Erev Yemolel Vyavesh. Ki Halinu Bapecha, Ubahamatha Nivhalno. Shat Avonotenu Legnevdecha, Alumenu Limor Panecha. Ki Ho Yamenu Panu Bevratecha, Kilinu Shanenu Kmo Hege. Yemesh notenu behem shivim shana, vim bigvurot shmonim shana, berov 
Bam, Amal, Vaven, Kigaz, Chish, Venaufa. Miodea oza pecha, Vachir atcha, Evratecha. Limnot yamenu ken hoda, Venavil vav chokma. Shuva adonai, Admatai, Vinachem alavadecha. Sabenu vaboker chastecha, Unarana venismecha, Beho yamenu. Samchenu, Kimot initanu, Shnot rainu raa. Yira'e elavadecha foalecha, vahadarcha al benehem, vinoam adonai lohenu alenu, umase yadenu konena alenu, umase yadenu konenehu. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Innamal mu'minuna ikhwatan fa'aslihu bayna akhawaykum wattaqullaha la'allakum turhamun Ya ayyuhallazina amanu la yaskhar qawman min qawmin Asa an yakunu khayram minhum wala nisa'un min nisa'in Asa an yakunna khayram minhun Wala talmizu anfusakum wala tanabazu bil alqab Bi'isal ismul fusuku ba'dal imani وَمَنْ لَمْ يَتُبْ فَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الظَّالِمُونَ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اجْتَنِبُوا كَثِيرًا مِنَّ الزِّنِّ كَثِيرًا مِنَّ الزَّنِّ إِنَّا بَعْدَ الزَّنِّ إِسْمٌ وَلَا تَجَسَّسُوا وَلَا يَغْتَبْ بَعْدُكُمْ بَعْدَ أَيُحِبُّ أَحْدُكُمْ أَنْ يَاكُلَ Lahama Achihi Maitan Fakarihtumu Wattakulla Inna Laha Tawabur Rahim Ya Ayuhanna Su Inna Halakna Kum Min Zakarim Maunsa Wajalna Kum Shuban Wakaba Ila Lita Arafu Inna akramakum indallahi atakum Innallaha alimun khabir In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. The believers are but a single brotherhood. So make peace and reconciliation between your two contending brothers and fear Allah that ye may receive mercy. O ye who believe, let not some men among you laugh at others. It may be that the latter are better than the former. Nor let some women laugh at others. It may be that the latter are better than the former nor defame, nor be sarcastic to each other. 
nor call each day by offensive nicknames. I'm sorry, nor call each other by offensive nicknames. Ill-seeming is a name connoting wickedness to be used of one after he has believed. And those who do not desist are indeed doing wrong. O ye who believe, avoid suspicion as much as possible. For suspicion in some cases is a sin, and spy not on each other, nor speak ill of each other behind their backs. Would any of you like to eat the flesh of his dead brother? Nay, you would abhor it. But fear Allah, for Allah is oft returning most merciful. O mankind, we created you from a single pair of a male and a female and made you into nations and tribes that ye may know each other, not that ye may despise each other. Verily, the most honored of you in the sight of Allah is he who is the most righteous of you. And Allah has full knowledge and is well acquainted with all things. As Christians, we're not alone in seeking new sisters and brothers in faith, nor are we alone in our commitment to sharing, to caring for the lost and the least. Our reasons for seeking one another out as friends and new family in God are different and complex, but a similar call resonates throughout our traditions. Think about inviting a neighbor who observes dietary restrictions you don't to dinner sometime soon. Learn why their food practices are important and meaningful to them. Have a real conversation about how to provide genuine hospitality. Come to know one another by learning of each other's deep love of God. And in the encounter, find the family that you were promised in the gospel today. As we experience the beauty of each other's traditions, may we know one another as sisters and brothers, sibling believers who seek to do the will of God. And as the psalmist writes, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and prosper us for the work of our hands. O prosper the work of our hands. Amen.
come now to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude or posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the altar and to the communion rails as we sing together our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. Great divine, caregiver of all the earth, we bring you today our joys, the moments of celebration for our relationships, for our families, our triumphs, and the triumphs of those dear to us. We bring with us today our struggles, those things that weigh heavily on our hearts. We lift up today our struggles, our families, our friends, our fears, our community, our environment, our nation, and our world. Grant us that we may know your presence even in the face of heartbreak and hardship. We pray for peace. We pray for the end of violence in our homes, in our country, and in our world. We pray for people in crisis. We pray for people in need. And we pray for people. We lift up all our worries and all of the burdens that we carry. Teach us to love one another and teach us to love those we may see as other. Remind us that we are all one in you and into your presence. Surround us, great spirit, in worship and in fellowship. Allow our time here and our fellowship with one another and with you to fill us and sustain us as we part and go about the day today. Wonderful divine, we come to you now with all these things, praying as you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, 
in the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Welcome again to Marsh Chapel. We'd love to learn your name and get to know you better and to also help you learn your neighbor's name and help to get to know them better. One great way to do that is to fill out the red pads that are found at the center of the aisles and to pass them along. A couple announcements this morning. First, a reminder that tomorrow the university is closed, so there will no be the Marsh Chapel office is not open and there will be no community dinner. Um, next weekend, I want to draw your attention to two events. First, the Inner Strength Gospel Choir Concert is going to take, out, take place outside on Marsh Plaza at 12.30 p.m. on Saturday. Also, uh, next Sunday, and this is the Dean's Choice event for the week, um, there's a concert, Resilient Voices, 1915 to 2015. The Marsh Chapel Choir will join the Harvard Radcliffe Collegium Musicum and the Boston Modern Orchestra Project for a concert commemorating the Armenian Genocide. Information about how to obtain tickets is found at the, in the website, um, which is inside of your bulletin. And last but not least, I would like to offer greetings and deep gratitude to Benjamin Bayer and Sheila Zakaula, who read from the Psalm and the Quran this morning. Now, beloved, it is a joy and a discipline to be a giver. As our ushers wait upon us for our tithes and offerings, I invite you to meditate upon C.V. Stanford's setting of Psalm 119 and to find yourselves being as generous as you are able.
Generous God, you have blessed us with the resources to share the good news of your love for all creation. We dedicate these gifts and pray that they may bring healing, wholeness, and hope to the world, that future generations may also know your goodness and love. Amen.
now go. Go and bump into a new brother or a sister or a mother or a father or a new child walking on the journey. Go in peace and go and share that peace with them. Amen.